Good morning. Good to be back again. I appreciated the children's story. It's so important at this early age to engrave in their memory that Jesus loves them, loves us, in spite of all our shortcomings. And I appreciate the bulletin, the illustration. When I walked in and picked it up, I said, this is not just by chance. This, this was chosen. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, very much. Uh, before we open the scriptures, let's ask the Lord. Our loving Heavenly Father, we humbly plead for the anointing of your Holy Spirit, not only for the speaker, but Lord, for every believer, every listener, that the Holy Spirit may help us to understand that we need to understand. In Jesus' name. Amen. We like to come to church. We love to come to church early. My wife and myself, we were sitting out there at 9 o'clock. Yeah, I realize it's a little bit too early. But I just want you to know when we go to the other church we come from probably the furthest and usually we are among the first ones uh, brethren it is so important that we be in the Sabbath school and the worship service both of them now, as an introduction, uh, let me tell you what I'm going to preach about. I will tell you two parables from the scriptures with divine authority. They are short, simple, no room for misunderstanding or misinterpretation. Both parables are told in the city of Jerusalem. The first one, 3,000 years ago. The second one, 2,000 years ago. Both speaks about the same crime. Are you listening? Both speak about the same crime the murder of an innocent man. Both parable foretells what will follow this crime. Both foretells historical events. In both parables, the judgment was pronounced by the listeners. It's very interesting. 
when they listen to the parable, the listener himself pronounces judgment on himself. But there is one big difference between the two stories. In the first one, there is forgiveness and restoration for the murderer. Forgiveness and restoration. In the second one, there is no forgiveness, no restoration, but total destruction without hope. Now, let's read both. And after I read both, we go to history, all right? The first one is in 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now please remember all the time, it is God's prophet speaking by being sent by the Lord himself. Is this clear, brethren? And he came to him and said to him, There were two men in the city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had many, exceedingly many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little lamb which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food, drank from his own cup, lay in his own bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And the traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man <coughs> who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Verse 5. Verse 5. Then David's anger was greatly aroused. Greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold the lambs, which he did. I'm not going to read all the details. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, You are the man. And David confessed. And verse 13, 
And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Now let's read the second story. And you turn with me to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. And we start reading from verse 33. Matthew 21, verse 33. Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a vine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, when the vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers and that they, they might receive its fruit. Verse 35. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed the other, stoned another. Again he sent another servant group, more than the first, and they did likewise. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vinedressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they cut him, cast him out, killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vine, a vineyard comes, what will he do to those Vine dressers. Now listen again. The listeners pronounce their own judgment. You follow me? The listeners pronounce their own judgment just like David did to Nathan. Verse 45. Now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parables, oh, before we go there, he will destroy those wicked and miserable and leave his vineyard to other vinedressers who will render him the fruit in their season. We read at the end that finally they perceived it they perceived it that he was speaking about themselves. Now these are the two parables. Both said in Jerusalem. Both came from the mouth of a prophet. One 3,000 years ago. One 2,000 years ago. Both parables speak about a crime of murdering an innocent man. But the difference, a big difference, 
In the first one, the murderer is forgiven and restored. In the second one, the murderers are not forgiven and not destroyed. Now, let's look at the story a little bit closer, all right? In 2 Samuel 15, we'll read in verse 1, Abba, pardon me, 5. Second Samuel 15, and I'm beginning to read in verse 7. Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Hebron and pay a vow which I vowed to the Lord. And David said to his son, Go in peace. But brethren, it was a military putsch, a military cup, using religion for political purposes. He did not go to Hebron to fulfill a vow. Not at all. But he used religious pretense. And Absalom said spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And the last sentence, it says, And the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased. Now, brethren, today the word conspiracy is a very, very, uh, has bad connotation. And we don't want to speak about conspiracy uh, because there are so many conspiracy theories. But here the Bible itself uses the word. Now in all Israel there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good look. For from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head there was no blemish in him. He was the most handsome man in Israel. Outwardly, but inside, rotten to the core. But that was not visible. In fact, he stole the hearts of Israel when they came to the court. You remember, Absalom went out, kissed them, and told them, Your case is good, but I wish I were the judge. I would do justice to you. But there is nobody to pick up your case. Nobody will listen to you. So, Absalom with his group comes to Jerusalem. David leaves the city of Jerusalem with only 600 men. Very important. Very important, the number. Later on we will refer to it, but only 600 men. Second Samuel 15, verse 30, 
So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives. He went up as he wept. And as he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, went up weeping as they went up. Brethren, David was experiencing a genuine repentance. A repentance that only the Holy Spirit can give. Uh, if you go to Steps to Christ, In the chapter, and, and you are studying with Ron Moore, or with the pastor, Paul is even better. You are studying Steps to Christ. There is a chapter in Steps to Christ entitled, True Repentance. True Repentance. And <coughs> in the chapter... The author quotes Psalm 51. The psalm that David wrote and I tell you, I was going to quote, but I am not quoting it now. This was a song that she said, every sincere Christian will experience a Holy Spirit inspired. He didn't want to justify himself. He didn't bring up any excuse for his sins. He says, I acknowledge my sins. They are ever before me. But Lord, save me from blood guiltiness and restore the right spirit to me. Shimei came out cursing. He was a Benjamite. And continually repeating the statement, You bloodthirsty man, you bloodthirsty man, the Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul. Now this was a false blame. A false blame. Abner was more guilty for the loss than David. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. Shimei said, not yet, not yet, not yet. Abishai, the mighty man of David, said, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. Now, if you read the story 
of the mighty men of David. And Abishai was one of them. I mean, they performed beyond imagination. They had courage, they had skill, they had strength, killed hundreds and hundreds. Some of them went into the den of a lion and killed a lion in their own den. And you just go back and read the deeds of the mighty man of David. And here was this man. He says, let me go over and just cut off his head. He could have done it. But what was David saying? Don't do it. My own son is seeking my life. What about this Benjamite? Just leave him alone. In the meanwhile, Absalom and all the people of Israel came to Jerusalem. And Ahitophel was with them. You remember the prayer of David? Oh, Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahitophel into foolishness. What were the two counsels of Ahitophel? You remember? What were, he gave two counsels. The first one, Second Samuel chapter 16, verse 21. Go into your father's concubines. So they pitched a tent on top of the house, and Absalom went in to his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now, brethren, I'd like to ask you a question. What was David praying for. David was praying that the Lord turn the advice of Ahitophel into foolishness. But the Lord did not answer this first. The Lord did not. Why? What was the punishment that Nathan said. You remember the words of Nathan, and Nathan spoke in the name of the Lord. He says, you did this in secret, but I will do this before all Israel, before the Son. Your wife will be delivered the hands of your friend, and so on. You did it in secret. I will do it in public. So the Lord did not answer or annul the first advice. But he did annul the second one. The second one. We read in the scriptures that the counsel of Ahitophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Ahitophel, both with David and with Absalom. Now, Ahitophel's advice was politically correct. Now, today, if you listen to the news and all the debates, I don't want to go into the election and post-election and 
who is blaming whom, but they speak much about political correctness. Have you ever heard that expression, political correctness? Ahitophel's advice, the first advice, was a political correct advice. Not to allow the father and the son to reconcile. To make peace ever. And brethren, that's a very serious crime. A very serious crime. Besides, James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Pure. This was not a pure advice. This was not a pure wisdom. Ahitophel advised a public dis, uh, transgression of the Ten Commandments. Now, brethren, I hope you understand that was not by divine wisdom that came from above, which is first pure. Now, the second council was rejected. You remember what Achitophel asked on that night? He says, give me 12,000 men and tonight I will follow David. I will kill him and I will bring back the people. And uh, the scripture says that this was a good advice for the destruction of David. Had they followed this advice, they almost did. They almost did. 600 men against 12,000 men. Humanly speaking, no chance of survival. And the scripture says it was a good advice for the destruction of David, but the Lord prevented it. Cushai came in, he asked, let all Israel be gathered together. That gave David enough time to gather his forces. I'm not going into the story because I have ten more minutes and I still have to come to my second story. <clears throat> but I'm pleading with you, you study these things because there are principles involved. Principles. The plan of redemption stepped into operation as David was walking on Mount Olives. Christ's substitutional death provided forgiveness. And you have to realize the conflict. This was... <clears throat> more than appeals to the eyes. This was a conflict of the word of God against the word of man. You follow me? The word of God against the word of man. Nathan says, you will not die. The Lord has taken away your sin. That was a prophetic word. <clears throat> but what was... Ahitophel determined to do. <coughs> he says, just, just allow me to 
gather 12,000 men tonight. Because he says, the security of your kingdom depends whether David is alive or killed. I will kill him. I will bring back the people. And then you have the kingdom secure. The war was lost before the armies confronted each other. You follow me? The war between the soldiers of David and the soldiers of Absalom was lost long before the armies confronted each other. Ahitophel died a violent death and Absalom died a violent death. But the word of God prevailed because the substitutional sacrifice. Because remember, Christ hanging on the cross is the gospel. It was yet future, but it was accepted in advance. Now let's go to Matthew 21. You remember what were the pronouncement of those listeners? I'm quoting, He will destroy those wicked men miserably. And just two pages further, this, this is what Jesus speaks to the listeners. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. I looked up my wife's college dictionary. Those good old days, and we were both young college students big ambitions and I found more than 10 definition of desolate and let me just read a few I'm not going to read all laid waste destitute of inhabitants left alone lonely being abandoned Deprived of inhabitants, depopulated, to forsake. So basically, when Jesus left the church last time in Matthew chapter 23, the chapter ends with the story that Jesus leaves the temple of Jerusalem the last time never to enter. And then he says, your house is left desolate. That means it has double meaning, double meaning. Not only abandoned physically, but spiritually. The Holy Spirit leaving the services. 
You remember on Good Friday, somebody says, why do they call Good Friday Good Friday? Because Jesus died on that Friday. It was a miserable day. It was a terrible day. Justice failed. How they treated Jesus. But nevertheless, tradition calls it Good Friday. And when Jesus had cried out again with a loud voice, yielding up his spirit, and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Which meant that the services in the church were no longer acceptable by the Lord. No longer acceptable. Now we speak about, as Seventh-day Adventists, we speak so much about present truth. There was a present truth 2,000 years ago. The earthly temple service, the sacrificial service, lost its validity when Jesus died on that Friday. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. If Christ our Passover was sacrificed, then to continue in the earthly sacrificial system meant a virtual denial of Christ as our Passover sacrifice. I'd like to say a few words, a few serious words about dispensationalism. Dispensationalism is a type of futurism in a nutshell, dispensationalism means that the church will be raptured in secret and when this rapture takes place, the seven last year of earth history begins to roll. And somewhere in the middle, the Antichrist takes power from Rome he moves to Jerusalem he will be enthroned in the rebuilt temple and the nations will gather at Armageddon this is a, a very brief summary of dispensationalism Revelation 15.6 I read and out of the temple came seven angels having the seven last plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chest girded with golden bands. And the sixth angel, the sixth plague speaks about Armageddon. That's Revelation 16, 12 to 16. That's the only place you find in the Bible the word Armageddon. <coughs> the Palestinian Armageddon has been one of the major deceptions that Satan has employed among God's people. The military 
The Palestinian interpretation hides a glorious teaching. Listen to this. Hides a glorious teaching of righteousness by faith. The glorious teaching of victory over sin, victory over world, and the victory over the devil. In this personal Armageddon message, the Lord appeals to who profess to be his loyal members, that the close of probation will come as a thief in the night. I have some reference here in the manuscript. I'm not going to quote it. Uh, you are free to get a copy. The Lord himself has clearly informed us in the book of Revelation that his Armageddon message is the same as his message to the Laodicean church. Now, let's compare two scriptures, brethren, two scriptures. Revelation 3.18. Revelation 3.18. I counsel thee to buy of me white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and the shame of your nakedness do not appear. This is to Laodicea. If you read Revelation 16, 15, this is the sixth plague. Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. Very closely related. Satan will try to deceive Adventists in regard to the standard of holiness to be attained and how to obtain it. Again, the reference is here Great Controversy 561, 623, 640. 656. There are lots of references in the Great Controversy. We are nearing the battle of the great day of God Almighty. The principalities and powers of earth are in bitter revolt against the God of heaven. They are filled with hatred against those who serve him. And soon, very soon, will be fought the last great battle between good and evil. That's a Review and Herald article. Uh, yeah, I'm done, and I'm supposed to be done at quarter to one. In closing, Somebody called my attention to this little book, Christ's Last Message to His Remnant by Louis Baer, published by Layman Ministries. Only 32 pages, only 32 pages, but the best book about the true meaning of Armageddon. So if you really want to know it, I think you should get it. And I'm not selling it, all right? And the second one, 
Futurism's incredible journey. Futurism's incredible journey by Stephen Bohr and published by Amazing Facts. So these are all, may I say, kosher Seventh-day Adventist books. Exceptionally good books. So brethren, there is hope. I have made five copies of this sermon. Uh, lots of references, especially from these books. If anybody likes to have a copy, you're welcome. So, thank you again. Lord bless you real good. Let us pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sure word of prophecy. As it was 3,000 years ago, so is today that your word will be fulfilled. Give us a grace to trust it implicitly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.